0: I want to ask you to turn with me to the the book of Matthew, chapter 7. This is right in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, let me read to you the first six verses of Matthew, chapter 7. Hear now God's word. Judge not that you be not judged. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And thus ends the reading and the hearing read of God's holy and inerrant word. Uh, I've already prayed about it, but I'll just open with the same thing. Unless God is pleased to send a time of revival and awakening in this country, our culture is coming apart. And if you can't see that, and you don't understand that, you need to wake up. Now I'm <laughs> speaking rather direct, but uh, it has become a great burden to me. I've got, Dina has soon have seven, and I've got 16 grandchildren. And uh, the oldest two are going off to college, and I, one's going to the University of North Carolina, one's going to Ole Miss. The two oldest of mine, one of hers is already at Ole Miss. And it really, really concerns me that uh, the condition of things on every college that I can think of every single one of them Um, and uh, so we need something to happen I've already alluded to it in my prayer and I think it is going to take us really wanting to live a Christian life and believing the word of God and proclaiming it and it's going to take wisdom wisdom when it comes, it's going to take wisdom as we are in the midst of it. It's going to take wisdom now. And to, take, and to be wise is going to take balance. I love the word balance. It's a key word in life. How many of us admit, like I do, that I've gone off on tangents before and looked up later on and thought, what in the world was I thinking? How did I get so mixed up? How did I get so crazy? Well, it happens not only in life. It happens as a Christian. And we need to be wise, and we need to be balanced. Uh, It is one of my favorite themes in the Bible, in the Christian life. Balance, balance, balance. It's so easy to miss. How do you achieve balance? There's several ways, but there's none better. One of the main ones is to learn and apply the Word of God. I'm going to say something about that again in a little while. And our text today is a good example of what I mean. I want to say point number one is this. Be discerning. Be his and The first time you read those words, you think, that's kind of crazy. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't serve uh, your, uh, uh, give dogs what is holy. What, what does he mean there? I've never heard anything quite like that. The one who urges us to take the gospel to the far corners of the world, to the far corners of Meridian and Lauderdale County in Mississippi, the one who urges us to take the gospel everywhere, warns us not to cast our pearls before swine. And he's the one who warned us earlier in this great sermon about judging others. And he's the very one here now who's calling people names. How do you explain that? What is the deal here? Listen to John Stott. He's not he's in heaven now. He was an Anglican preacher. Uh, he had a great church in London. I worshiped there a couple of times, and he he had really, really was a blessing to hear, and he wrote some wonderful things. Listen to what John Stott said. The context provides a healthy balance, and there's an old saying that if you had never heard it before, you ought to write, write it down. A text without a context is a pretext. Just put it in the situation where it's written. The context provides a healthy balance. If we are not to judge others, finding fault with them in a censorious, condemning, or hypocritical way, we are not to ignore their faults either and pretend that everybody is the same. Both extremes are to be avoided. avoided he's talking about balance. The saints are not judges, but the, and he's going to use an English word, a British word here, but the saints are not simpletons either. Simpletons. I don't care for that word, but that's, it, it expresses what, what we're talking about. Not only simpletons, uh, only not, now, only simpletons would squander steak on stray dogs. You got to realize that in the Jewish culture, they didn't like dogs very much. Uh, and not only, and not not only simpletons would give high-priced good steak to dogs, and only simpletons would take pearls and throw them in a pig pen. He's, it's a it's a, a strong strong illustration. He's trying to get the point across. To understand the full impact of this, those animals, dogs, were unclean in that culture. Um, And it would be unthinkable to take that meat and give it to wild dogs. And it would be unthinkable to take a beautiful pair of pearls and put it, in, as I said already, in a pig pen. But because neither would appreciate the priceless nature of what was being set before him. what Jesus is really saying here, I get it if people have the opportunity to hear the truth about Jesus and about the gospel and about the future and about eternity and about everything that we know as a Christian, if they hear it and they don't respond to it, if they stubbornly turn their backs on Christ and his teaching, they cast themselves into the role of dogs and pigs. And what are we to do? He's saying if that happens, as a result, we are not to go on and on with them, pleading and begging and making fools of ourselves. Because then we cheapen God's grace and we cheapen the gospel by letting them trample it underfoot. And you say, I'm not sure I've ever heard that before. Okay? Well, listen to Jesus in Matthew 10, 14. If anyone would not will not welcome you or listen to your words... Shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or leave that town. Now, the job to do is that we're to present it, but we're not to get bent out of shape if they don't respond, because who's going to make them respond if they respond? Not you and not me. The Holy Spirit is. And if the Holy Spirit decides not to work in that particular context, then we're not to go away depressed or worried or frustrated. Of course, we wish it weren't going to be that way, but we're not to let it control our lives problem is i have to tell you the problem is most of us have gone to sleep about presenting it that's an issue we're not as concerned about that as we should be well did paul like that did he think that was true did he agree with did paul agree with this? listen <clears throat> acts 13 verses 40 to 40, 49 on the next sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the lord and when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. And then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. He's sticking it to them pretty hard, doesn't he? We now then are going to turn to the Gentiles for what this this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles, he's speaking to the Gentiles. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed, word appointed, we'll talk about that a little bit later, appointed, there's God's sovereign, predestinating, electing grace before the foundation of the world. All who were appointed to eternal life believed. And then in chapter 18 of Acts, verses 5 and 6, when Paul and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, I'm out of here. He didn't say that, but that's what in essence he said. Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Now I want to make sure you understand. There are certain truths that we do not necessarily need to put in front of those who don't believe, um, and we need to be careful. The main thing we need to talk to those who don't talk to those who don't believe about is your need for a, sal- for a savior. Because if you don't have it in the end, you're going to bust hell wide open. I hate to say it that crudely, but that's where you're headed. But we need to say that gently. But all Christian truth is not easy to understand, equally easy. Why is it in the Presbyterian church that we don't encourage small children to take the Lord's Supper? Because a little child, um, until they come to an age of discernment, is not going to understand exactly what that means. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians that you can eat and drink judgment to yourself. I don't care if you're 5 years old or 50 years old. And so we say, wait until you get it, and wait until we, we feel like you know the Lord, until you've made a profession of faith, and it's real. And then that's, that's just a teaching of the scripture. What about those wonderful, glorious, deep truths of predestination? Are we just go around preaching that to everybody? That's why they call us the frozen chosen, isn't it? <laughs> okay. I want to read you Westminster. You, it's hard. You, you're not gonna find anything more wise and balanced than the Westminster Standards. And I wish I had time to tell you about where they were written and all that, but in, in Westminster Abbey. But uh, Section uh, Chapter Three, Section Eight. Listen, the doctrine of this high mystery, of high mystery. Have I got it all down and understood? No. And neither does anybody else in the world. But some people understand it better than others. This high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. That's the first sentence in the last section. And so they are saying... We need to be careful with that doctrine. It's precious and it's wonderful, but you need to take let somebody show some maturity in Christ and be a little bit into the faith for a while before you present it to them, and then they will embrace it and think that's the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. And don't cast your pearls before swine. Again, listen to the Bible. Listen to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Sometimes you talk to people about about the lord jesus and they say oh, i've heard all that before i don't need to hear that no get out of here get away from me okay just leave me alone first samuel 25 17 now think it over and see what you can do because disasters hanging over our master and his whole household household he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him you've been around anybody that's so mixed up so mad so angry and so frustrated try to tell them something they just cuss at you and leave you say get out of here leave me alone i don't need all that i've heard all that before i heard it since a child i don't believe that and you're crazy just politely go on and say holy spirit open their eyes open their heart and the next time maybe it'll happen that's what we need to do so what do we do when we have somebody that we care about deeply that we love that we're concerned about when they refuse the love offered to them by god what do you do What do you do when you have a friend you've been friends with? I've got one right now that I'm pretty sure is dying. Hasn't been in church in 40 years. I grew up in Brandon, Mississippi. And one of my old childhood buddies is dying now. The last time I talked to him, I I tried to talk to him about spiritual things. And you know what he said to me? He He said, Wayne, you've been trying to tell me this all my life. I know what it says. And I didn't preach to him. I just kind of backed off smoothly and realized he wasn't ready. Well, I'm going again to see him, and I'm going to try my best to gently get into his heart. What do you do when you are a parent and you have children who wander away from the faith? Or you have grandchildren who don't care about it anymore? Or you have a wife or a husband who just fades and You may still be married, but they don't have show any interest in spiritual things at all anymore. What do you do? Uh, you know what to do. You pray. And does the, what does the Bible say? Does it say pray one time and then that's enough? <laughs> no. How many times does it say pray? Pray without ceasing. That's First Thessalonians five seventeen. Don't give up. It ain't over till it's over. And how many times have I seen, I've been in the ministry 53, ordained 50-something 50 years. How many times have I seen that come true? People later on come back and are so sorry that the time they wasted, and they're just really great from that point on, and it, it happens. The Holy Spirit's timing is his own timing. I want to say that one thing that that is important in, in, uh, in what Jesus is saying here about casting pearls before swine, I don't think he means... That there are truths that are taught in the Bible that we shouldn 't try to have in culture, that our laws and our, our the way we conduct life and culture shouldn 't be based on biblical truths, and we have to speak that and uh, it doesn 't mean that we don 't use the ethics of Christianity in in life for unbelievers, but we are to do it in a loving, sacrificial, and merciful way. Uh, and what we'll do is pray that someday they do understand why we say, "Well, if you murder somebody, uh, what does what does Genesis uh, say in chapter nine? It, capital punishment is there. What is Genesis? What does the Bible say in Ecclesiastes? If you don't execute a sentence against an uh, evildoer, uh, they'll do it quicker again." <laughs> I think about that verse every time I hear about a case in court where they say, "Well, we're not ready yet. We're going to post. Can we postpone the judge? Yes, you can come back in about three months. That'll be fine." I'm talking about a big case. (coughs) (coughs) If I was that judge, I could handle it in 10 minutes. I'd say, you get that case ready two weeks from now, Monday morning at 9 o'clock, and if you don't, I'm going to find you $1,000 a day. You understand? Did you get that? Uh, Don't get me started on that. (laughs) I have a daughter who is a lawyer in Nashville. I married the daughter of one of the best lawyers in Mississippi. Daniel Coker Horton, Frank Horton. So I'm getting down on lawyers, and there are probably some here. But uh, I'm telling you, something something needs to change. Uh, But ethical, biblical ethics are not a part of the equation anymore, and that's what I'm trying to say. But it doesn't mean we don't talk about that. But when we talk about people about their soul, he's saying, be careful how you do it. But once you do it, leave it up to the Holy Spirit. And of course, what about prayer? Can you teach Christians about non-Christians about prayer? No. The only prayer a non-Christian can pray is, Heavenly Father, have mercy on me and save me. I'm a terrible sinner, and I need you to work in my life and change me and make me a new creation. That is the only prayer that a non-Christian... I get so frustrated with hearing when somebody dies, and you'll hear it from all over the place, you'll say, thoughts and prayers go out to the family of somebody that's as pagan as they can be. They don't know their head from third base about prayer. But they, that, that is, that's simple. It's, it's like uh, R.C. Sproul said, you know, in America what we have today is justification by death. You know, what the true truth is, the Reformation taught and what we've always believed is justification by faith alone. Declared not guilty by the faith in the doing and dying, the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in America, if you just die, everybody says, he's in heaven now. had not been in church ever or has been very opposed to Christianity. They can't pray but one kind of prayer. We are to pray for them. God's not going to hear, explicitly the Bible says, you're not going to hear the prayer of unbelievers. Isaiah 115, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Uh, The only prayer that God ever answers from an unbeliever is the prayer of salvation. And the doctrine is the only one that we have to preach to one who has not already become a child of God. Is this what Jesus did? Is this exactly how he lived? Let me give you an example. There are people that think, a lot of us have thought in the past, that Jesus went all over the countryside just preaching the gospel. Everywhere he went and uh, proclaiming who would let. And that's true in a sense. I'm sure that 5,000 people listened to him on the Sermon on the Mount. There were unbelievers there, I'm sure. But it's probably closer to the truth to say that Jesus was the most discriminating of all preachers ever in terms of what he taught and to whom he taught it. Let me prove that to you. Take the woman of Samaria. John records that in his gospel. Here was a woman who had some real serious religious questions. And Jesus could have spoken to her either about theology or ethics. Instead, he resisted her, her. She tried to turn the conversation in a certain direction. And he constantly brought it back to himself. He offered to give her spiritual water. And she asked whether, he, and when he did that, she said, Are you greater than our great ancestor Jacob? And then Jesus directed her back to the spiritual nature of, what he, of which he was giving. She wanted to talk about the proper place to worship, what we call liturgy today. And Jesus said, he didn't answer that question. He pointed to the fact that salvation was of the Jews and the Messiah was to come through Judaism. Finally, when she began to debate and get off the subject again about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. (laughs) This woman, it was just like a typical unbeliever. There was no solution that she could hear unless there had been an acceptance of Christ in her heart. She was blind. Isn't that what the scripture teaches? Isn't that what the Westminster standards teach? That until Christ opens the heart, until God, the Holy Spirit opens the heart, they just don't see it. And so we pray for that. We pray for that. We pray for that. Now, before we leave this, in which I think this verse primarily teaches spiritual discernment and discrimination, good discrimination, I want to point out that something very pleasant. I want you to notice what true riches are. A few verses prior to this, Jesus had spoken of those who were really preoccupied with earth's riches. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And then he reminds us that riches, that Christian riches, real riches, are to be found where? He, He reminds us that real riches are to be found in God's word. This in my hand are the pearls of great price. They are to be valued like pearls. Now I'm going to tell you a true story. I was an uh, executive pastor and for 10 years in Memphis with John Sartell at the Independent Presbyterian Church. Now, that name, don't let it deceive you. It's a denominational church. There's a long story behind why it's named independent, which is a terrible name for a Presbyterian church. <laughs> When I went to work there with John, uh, we had 850 members, and 10 years later, we had 2,500. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Okay, I had a Sunday school class with about 250 young adults in it, and I loved it. And so after I'd been teaching them about three years, I found out that R.C. Sproul had developed an a English Bible test, and I had the great idea. Let me get that English Bible test, and I will give it to these 250 young adults in my son's school class. It will be really fun. It will encourage them. It will encourage me. And after all, I've been teaching them. Here it is. Ligard Ministries. I got a copy of it. I gave it out, and they took it. Between Only between 15, I'm, I'm counting 70 is passing only between 15 and 20% passed the test. I was humiliated. I was I was thinking, "Oh, man, they've been listening to John Sartell, they've been listening to me. Like, What's wrong?" What's wrong is we we just needed to sh- chow down and get serious about teaching them the Bible and doing a better job. Okay. I did it. I brought it for you. Your elder here has made a a copy, and you know what? Here are all the answers, and I'm leaving that here, and I hope you all will run off a bunch and have fun with it, and you will learn a lot about the Bible, and you will learn how much more you need to study, and again, this is the pearl of great price, and this is our time to learn it and study it. It is our treasure. God's word is a pearl of great price. But now, before anything else I've said, the Bible says, I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Mary did that. Martha did that. Many others did. And I believe that many in this room have hidden the word in, your, in their hearts. If you have, I'm going to tell you a story. With this, I close. That will illustrate the most important thing of all that we do. It is to pray, but it is also to be light of the world, to share our faith. And I think one of the reasons that we're in trouble in a culture today is the church isn't doing that very well anymore. And I know uh, you may not have the gift of personal evangelism, and if you study spiritual gifts, we all all have the same, same spiritual gift, but we all have, we may not all have the same spiritual gift, but we all have some gift. The Holy Spirit gives each one of us, at least one, some of us more than one, to share, proclaim our faith. And what I'm about to say is tell you a story, and that illustrates it vividly. You're going to like this story. I want us to go to um, Los Alamos, New Mexico, May 21st, 1946. There's a very young, daring scientist there who's carrying out experimentation for an atomic test to be conducted in the South Pacific. His last name was Leon Slotkin, first name Leon Slotkin. And he would performed that experiment many times before. What he did to determine the amount of uranium-235 necessary for a chain reaction, what scientists call a critical mass, he would push two hemispheres of uranium together. And then, just as the mass became critical, he would push them apart with his screwdriver and instantly stopping the chain reaction. But that day, on that date, just as the material became critical, the screwdriver slipped. The hemispheres of uranium came too close together, and instantly the room was filled with a dazzling, bluish haze. And young Lewis Sloton, instead of ducking and thereby possibly saving himself, bore and tore tore the two hemispheres apart and bore with his own hands and his body the chain reaction. There were seven other people in the room. By this instant, self-forgetful, daring move, he saved the lives of seven people in the room. It wasn't too long before the ambulance got there. As they put him in the car to take him to the hospital, he said to one of the men, Y'all are going to come through this all right, but I hadn't got the slightest chance. And it was only too true. Seven days later, he died. Now listen to me. The most important thing I've said this morning, I'm going to say right now. 2,000 years ago, the very Son of God walked directly into the most imminent, ominous attack that Satan could give. The most concentrated sinful radiation that he could bring. He tried to kill Jesus, stop the whole thing. And Jesus allowed himself to be touched by its curse and take his life. And he broke the chain reaction, he broke the power of sin. And that's why we're here this morning. And there's nothing better. Why don't we tell it to everybody? And and if they don't respond, we don't worry. We leave it to the Holy Spirit. But we've got to do something. It's getting late in the game. The meter's running. This country's coming apart. We need help and we need a spiritual help. And when we're part of the army. And what we need to do is talk to them about how he took that he took the, the 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 biggest shot Satan could give for us. For all the terrible things I've done. And I've done some bad ones. And you have too to save us, to take us to heaven and build a Christian ethos and country and world. Let's get back in the game. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for such direct truth that Jesus is giving us here about being careful, about not getting frustrated and and not getting upset when people don't respond. But at the same time, the overarching, overbearing thing is we need to tell it to our children, to our grandchildren, to our relatives, to our friends, and not in an ob- 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 obnoxious way, but just to, to be, uh, use it in the way that we can and trust the Holy Spirit to work. And it will be amazing what you do if we just get back into it. I believe that with all my heart. So help us, O oh Father, pr- I pray. I pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.